So I got a text this morning. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, and it is from Wally. So uh, he says, thanks for teaching at Walker and leading our town hall, Tom. I taught this morning at Beit Sha'an in the Decapolis, which you should know because I'm sure that Wally's taught you about the Decapolis. Uh, and we'll be teaching at Caesarea Maritima about the time of your gathering, calling the church to carry the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now pay attention to that sentence, calling the church to carry the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And then when I'm finished with the sermon, see if maybe the Holy Spirit has us in an interesting same place, so that's good. Much love and grace and peace to you and much love from me and the Walker crew here to the Walker family there. So wanted to make sure that you uh, heard from Wally this morning and it's kind of cool to hear, uh-oh. Better be able to get into my tablet, there we go. So uh, let me begin with a word of prayer and then we'll jump into, jump into the word, okay? Father God, thank you for this morning. We do pray for Wally and the Walker crew and the rest of the crew that is, uh, in Israel right now as uh, they see Caesarea Maritima and as they see so many other sites, pray for Wally as he teaches today. And we ask that in each of these teachings uh, that, that Jeremy and Tim and Wally are presenting and in the gathering of that 47 uh, people that your spirit would fall upon them in that special place uh, where your son Jesus walked the earth. And so God, we pray that there would be eyes opened, even as uh, eyes are often opened as, as Wally shares those things here on a Sunday morning, pray those things would be opened even more there. And, and we pray for their safe return and uh, that we could learn many things uh, when they come back. This morning as we look into the scripture, God, we pray that you would also open our hearts and minds, help us to hear uh, your word and be challenged by it and respond to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, uh, amen. And I am going to get my phone out here. Forgive me, I want to make sure that I pay attention to the time because I could talk forever like Wally maybe sometimes does. But today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. We've been in the book of Matthew for quite a while now and we'll be in it for a while. So hopefully you're... Uh, investing in and diving into the book of Matthew. It's a great way to just get to know Jesus more intimately. And uh, I would encourage that during the week, uh, you use the Bible app or your Bible, whatever it is, and just continue to read the chapters that we're reading. Maybe you read back where we've just been. Maybe you read ahead where we're going. Uh, it'll give you a lot more context. The more you uh, pay attention to the scriptures, the more the Spirit will speak to your heart and the more you study it and take what you're getting this morning, uh, what you hear here each Sunday isn't the word. The word is in the scriptures. We're expounding on it and expanding on it, and hopefully it's opening some things up in you. Hopefully it's challenging uh, some things with you. So we're going to be in chapter 10, so if you have a phone or a Bible, you can open to that. I'm going to jump around a little bit in that chapter. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to cover everything in it. Um, that would be impossible to do this morning unless you want to spend all day. Uh, but I'll be in the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. So um, this past week, I was talking to Pastor Greg from Fairhaven. We were in a kind of a coaching thing together, and he was, uh, he was telling me about a sermon series from uh, another pastor that we both know in, in Colorado, uh, and they, they have the, the title of their sermon series is this. It's called Jesus Christ Superstore. Hmm. It's not a real place, but think about this for a minute. Jesus Christ Superstore. Imagine that you're the greeter at Jesus Christ Superstore. And you say this as people come in, you're like, welcome to Jesus Christ Superstore, where you can get any version of Jesus that you want here. We've got stacks and stacks of different kinds of Jesus. Uh, you can get cute little baby Jesus here. Uh, you can get buddy Jesus. Do you guys remember buddy Jesus? No? Yes? Some of you? Look it up. Um, <laughs> 
liberal Jesus. You can get conservative Jesus. We have a whole aisle for both of those so you aren't with each other because you don't get along. Um, we have warmonger Jesus. We have powerful motivational speaker Jesus. And every version totally customizable with your own accessories. Don't you love Jesus Christ Superstore? <laughs> no, Sean. <laughs> the only problem with Jesus Christ Superstore is that not every version of Jesus that's out there is the version of Jesus, the actual Jesus who we believe walked in the earth. I mean, that's why the group is in Israel right now. They believe that Jesus in his sandals and his bare feet literally walked on the earth as the second person of the Godhead come incarnated into the world and that this God in the form of Jesus, in the form of a person, was real and tangible and can't just be whatever we want him to be. That's why instead of listening to the latest pundit or the most recent YouTube prophet, because you can find lots of those these days, we go back to the Bible. We go back into the scripture to find out the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. What does the Bible say? What does scripture say about Jesus? We go there again and again. We go to the stories of the disciples who knew him the most, who were his best friends, the people he spent all of his time with. And then they sat down and they, and they wrote about their experience and they wrote down the words that he said and they captured all of this in what we call the gospels so that we would know the real Jesus. See, there is a real Jesus. And we can't just pick and choose what we want. We can't just, you know, assemble Jesus into the Jesus that we want for our life based on our preconceived notions or our political leanings or our sociological stances. There is a real Jesus. And this is not super popular in the world today, but he's a Lord which means he's a master and he's a king, which means he asks us to actually submit to him. When we create our own Jesus, we're making him submit to us, but he asks us to submit to him and to filter our preferences through his lordship rather than the other way around. The Jesus in the Bible brings amazing grace. He, he teaches us about the world and how to be more faithful in this world that we're living in, how we need to be uh, challenged by his words and how that challenges what the world teaches us. He teaches us how to be generous in our hearts, how to pray for those who persecute us, how to actually love our enemies, how, how, to, how to give until it hurts, how to forgive the people who are unforgivable in our lives, and how to consider other people better than us. That, that's the Jesus that invites us to follow him. And knowing the real Jesus of the Bible matters. Otherwise, you hopefully wouldn't be here this morning. We try to open up the scriptures every week and try to say, who is Jesus and what is he asking of us? What is he challenging us with? I don't know if you remember this. Um, do you remember the little doll uh, named uh, Stretch Armstrong? I'm going to give you lots of like old 80s references uh, today. Uh, but Jesus isn't like Stretch Armstrong. You can put him into any shape you want. Well, maybe he's like Stretch Armstrong because when you let go of the shape, he goes back to his original shape. You can try to stretch him, but he is who he is, and he doesn't just stretch to what we want him to be. Knowing the real Jesus of the Bible matters. Matters. Now, this, uh, this past week, uh, a good friend of mine sent me an article. It's a long-form article from the Atlantic Monthly, uh, written by a guy who's originally from Brighton, Michigan, on the other side of the state, 
and his dad uh, was a pastor, so he kind of grew up under the pastoral thing now. Uh, wrote, I, don't, I don't know if he's actually a journalist or not. I didn't uh, research him. I just read the article, long article, and it's called this, super exciting, How Politics Poisoned the Evangelical Church. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, it's a great article. Um, it's a fascinating read, and it ends with his assessment as he thinks about the future of the church in America based on how we're creating Jesus in our own image. And he says this, and it will come up on the screen here. Um, More people will leave churches, this is his conclusion, after pages and pages and stories. More people will leave churches that refuse to identify with a tribe and will find pastors who confirm their own partisan views. The erosion of confidence in the institution of American Christianity will accelerate Notice the erosion of confidence will accelerate. The caricature of evangelicals will get uglier, and the actual work of evangelizing will get much, much harder. Welcome to Sunday. This morning, uh, we're starting a new series, Staying in Matthew, but what we've done is kind of taken Matthew and we've made it into a couple different series as we go along. Actually, not a couple. I think it's like 10 or 12, something like that. Um, and so uh, this is, I think, maybe series number five or something like that. And we're calling this one Bad Theology. Um, and so we're talking, talking about bad theology. And it, as we look around us at our friends, at our neighbors, at our fellow Americans, maybe even, if we're honest, at our own lives, we find that there's a lot of bad theology out there. There's a lot of stuff that we talk about about Jesus, or it's like this article is saying about Christianity that, that really isn't the Jesus of the Bible. That's why knowing the real Jesus of the real Bible matters because a lot of stuff out there right now is posing as Christianity or is posing as faithful following of Jesus that isn't really about the Jesus who creates, sustains, redeems, and restores this world. There's, Jesus brings a beauty and sometimes uh, the Christianity that we see isn't the Christianity of the Scripture. There's a word that's been used um, uh, in missions. Um, it's a word that I don't think we use very often in regular, uh, regular talk. I use it a lot because uh, I'm in that world, right? And it's the word syncretism. And I'm going to give you a definition of syncretism. I think there it is way ahead of me. Awesome. Syncretism is, is the merging or attempted merging of different religions, cultures, and schools of thought. The idea here is that we take one idea and another idea, and we like both ideas, so we put them together. We syncretize them. So I told you I, I'm involved in Nepal, been involved in India and Nepal and a couple other places, and one of the things that I noticed uh, working in missions, as I've studied that a lot and worked in missions, especially in planting new churches, is that syncretism is a dangerous thing that, um, that happens quite easily uh, in missions. It's the idea that you, you come in, uh, the gospel comes into a culture, and people like the gospel, and they like things about it, but they like their religion and their culture, and they take the two things and they merge them together into one thing. Uh, so in, in Nepal, uh, this is particularly interesting because there's a, Nepal is, uh, is mostly Hindu, and uh, interestingly, there's like, a, there's like a normal Hinduism, and then there's sort of a pagan Hinduism uh, as you get further away into uh, kind of microcultures. And so basically Hinduism has already become syncretized by adding all kinds of pagan religion into it. Now we plant churches and tell them about Jesus, right? 
And Brahman is the god of Hinduism, and there's kind of one god in Hinduism, but many, many gods with Brahman. So Brahman shows Brahman's self in all kinds of different ways as different gods. So there are literally thousands of gods in Hinduism. And so the typical Hindu will say, oh, that's cool. I kind of like Jesus. I like this part, and I like this part, and I like this part. I'll put those together with the stuff in Hinduism, and I'll just add it, right? You understand what I'm talking about? That's called syncretism. So we have to be very careful as we, as we train church planters that are starting new churches there, uh, not to just create a church that's a syncretized church in which Jesus is just another God in the pantheon of Hinduism. Um, the reality is that more than ever, I've been seeing, thinking, and speaking about syncretism in American Christianity than I ever have before in my 25 years of ministry. I've been talking about syncretism in Africa and in India and in the places that I've been involved in missions over the years, but now I'm realizing in America, we have a more syncretistic religion than we've ever had before. In fact, as I go back in history now, it's been happening in American culture for at least the last 100 years in a pretty strong way in which we've been remaking Jesus in our own image. You hear me? That's bad theology. The name of this series is covering, we're covering these kinds of bad theologies, but at core we're asking the question, who is Jesus? Who really is Jesus? Now I'm not gonna get into syncretism too much this morning, uh, but I, I want to get into chapter 10 because I think, um, I think in chapter 10 we begin to see a bit of the antidote to this. Uh, how, what do we need to focus on to stay away from uh, syncretism? So we've been walking through Matthew since the beginning of December. First, we were introduced to Jesus, you know, his, his birth, his genealogy, his parents, how he grew up, uh, his beginning, his, his uh, testing in the wilderness, his beginning of ministry, and then we're introduced to the teachings of Jesus. We, we spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, uh, not this, but this, not this, but this. These are the values of the kingdom. Pay attention to these values. They might not be the values of your normal world, but these are, these are the values of the kingdom. Pursue the kingdom. Then we were introduced to the miracles of Jesus, okay? So it's like the growing up of Jesus, then there's these teachings, then he begins to do miracles, and we saw a lot of those recently, a lot of healings. Um, even last week, uh, I didn't listen to the message here, but uh, healing of the blind man and the, and the man who couldn't speak, um, different healings that happen over and over again and how people respond to those, and we see lives transformed. And woven through all these stories is the, th the authority of Jesus. So he teaches with authority, First, then we see him use that authority, casts out demons, he heals the sick, he restores the broken. And so we begin to recognize that Jesus isn't just any other man. He actually talks about forgiving sins, which in that time would be, in their version, bad theology, it would have been heresy to them. He has a different way of doing things. He has what I like to call a way of life. There's a way of living that Jesus promotes. There's a way of living that Jesus shows. Jesus is not, in these stories in the gospel, some fill-in-the-blanks, choose-your-own-adventure kind of person or kind of king. Jesus doesn't say, well, there are some things, you know, I'm just like, uh, I'm here and I'm going to tell you a couple things, but then you get to kind of choose your own. Just add what you want to, like the superstore, choose your own accessories. It's not how Jesus works. He's pretty clear about the things that he values and he's clear about the kingdom and he's clear that his ways are not usually our ways. 
And then the, the people in the story who get it, they're, they're described as people who have eyes that see, ears that hear. They have hearts that are open to the kingdom. They respond. Those are the people who, who get it. And they, they begin to come to him and follow him. And they become disciples of his. And they trust him. And they listen to his teaching. And they begin to follow him in all the things that, uh, that he does. And as, as, the, uh, as the story unravels uh, through their eyes, uh, they begin to be focused more and more on Jesus. And they begin to try to figure out, well, what, what is he teaching? What, what is he how does he do these miracles? What, what, who is this Jesus? There's a shift that happens in chapter 10, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. So you got the birth, genealogy, all that, the teachings, then you've got miracles. In chapter 10, there's a shift. There's a shift to the people who are following him. There's a shift to the people who've said yes to him. There's a shift to the disciples. But before I get to that, I want to uh, talk to you about something that maybe, I don't know if Wally's talked to you about this before. We have too many churches for me to listen to all the sermons. So you understand, right? You can't keep up with. So if there's heresy, you have to tell me, right? Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, actually, you might not know this, but uh, our pastors all uh, spend time weekly on sermons together face-to-face and then over the internet and, you know, over Slack and some of those things. So there's a lot of shared uh, work on sermons together, which is really cool. Um, but there's something in the scriptures, I don't know if Wally's told you about this, um, has he ever talked to you about the messianic secret? Okay, messianic secret, you might not remember this, um, if it came up, it comes up a lot in Mark, but it's also there in Matthew, um, and it, it's, it's in today's scripture, uh, well, last week's scripture in chapter 9, um, the blind men come to him, Jesus touches their eyes, um, and then he says this, he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you, and their sight was restored, and then Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Isn't that weird? If Jesus is preaching the kingdom and teaching and he wants people to know, why does he tell them not to tell anybody? And that happens quite often. It happens more in Mark than it does in Matthew, but it also happens in Matthew. Don't tell anybody. And if you know this story, like they didn't listen at all, right? They're like, oh, let's go tell everybody about it. You know, they don't listen. Kind of like... Uh, I was going to say kind of like kids, but my kids are here today. My kids are great listeners, so I'm not going to say that. Um, but they, they, don't, they don't listen. Uh, but Jesus, but the, Jesus does this a lot. He says, don't tell anybody about this. Why is that? Um, in Matthew 10, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He sends them out to preach, but then there's times when he tells them not to preach, not to tell them. Um, see, Jesus... Um, Jesus tells them in this passage, he says, truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Who's the Son of Man? Do you know who that is? It's Jesus, right? Do they know that at this moment? They don't. Notice the sentence. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And nobody goes, well, who is that, Jesus? You know? And the Son of Man, they would have known that the Son of Man was not that it was Jesus. They might have inklings at this point. But they would have known the Son of Man was the Messiah. The Son of Man was the one who was going to come. The Son of David is referred to in chapter 9. Um, it's, it's the one who's going to come and save them from their captors. But they don't know for sure at this point that Jesus is that person. I think they're hoping. And there's lots of reasons why the Messianic secret might be there. Uh, some people think it's because it wasn't yet the time. So it's kind of like, well, I'm going to wait until it's time, and then I'm going to announce my candidacy. You know, kind of like that. 
Um, or that potentially, well, we not potentially, we know the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus when he said he was the Messiah, right? So maybe he's, he knows that's going to happen, and so he waits a bit, because every time it gets out there, the Pharisees come back, and his life's in danger. So maybe he knows the time isn't right. That's going to happen. They're going to they're going to arrest me. They're going to attack me. But I'm going to I'm going to wait for that moment until it's the right moment. Um, but regardless, Jesus in this passage, if you read all of chapter ten, it's long. We're not going to read the whole thing today. Um, in this passage, Jesus sends his disciples out. Okay, so we get Jesus' birth and his growing up, his genealogy. We get Jesus' teachings, Sermon on the Mount, all that. We get Jesus' miracles. Now Jesus, okay, Sarah, it's time for you to go out. Sean, it's time for you to go out, right? Like, I'm going to send you out now. In, uh, in Luke chapter 10, I think it is, it's called the sending of the 72. Here, there's just a specific 12, their name, and they, they're supposed to go out to preach. Here's my question for you. What were they preaching? Hmm, Denny's got a quizzical look on his face. If they don't know that Jesus is the Messiah... What are they preaching? What are they teaching all these towns? What are they sharing as the gospel, right? The good news. He says he wants them to go out and preach the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? We know the gospel. Like if I ask you what's the gospel, hopefully you'll say something about who Jesus is, that God sent his son into a sinful and broken world so that his son could be the redeemer for the world, right? They don't know any of that at this point, right? So what is the good news? Clearly, Jesus thinks there's good news, even though they don't know he's the Messiah, and that good news hasn't happened yet. So what is it? Now let's uh, look at chapter 9 again. Again, I'm going to back up to the end of chapter 9, uh, and this will come up in the screen. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming what? Say this with me. The good news of the kingdom. Now, I know that Wally has taught you some Greek and some Hebrew. More Hebrew, maybe, than Greek. Uh, but maybe you know the word for good news. Maybe he's taught you that for us. Elangelion, um, or however you say it, because uh, I don't know Greek. But Elangelion, it's the word that evangelical comes from, uh, or evangelism comes from, and it means good news. And so whenever Evangelion is written, it's translated as good news. And Jesus goes through the towns and villages preaching the gospel. We sometimes translate it that way. When you see gospel and you see good news, that's interchangeable. It's one word, Elangelion. Jesus goes out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus was teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and performing miraculous healings as an exclamation point. Do you hear me? You see, Jesus is preaching. He's not preaching his death and resurrection at this point, but he's still preaching the gospel. The gospel precedes, maybe you haven't heard this before, the gospel precedes the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is actually bigger than the death and resurrection of Jesus. It includes it, but it's bigger than that. Not only does knowing the real Jesus of the Bible matter, as I said earlier, the good news of the kingdom matters. We need to know the good news of the kingdom. It's a bigger story of what God is doing in the world. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. And we see that at the end of chapter 9. Again, Jesus uh, went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He preaches it, he heals like an exclamation point. 
So two quick things before we move to, I'm still on chapter nine. <laughs> I'm still on the pivot. We'll get there. Two things quickly on this. Um, just as we've learned, Jesus is doing the things we've been um, looking at over the past uh, weeks. He's been healing, he's been teaching, he's been proclaiming. Jesus recognizes that the people are lost, though. Jesus recognized that there are lost people all around. And Jesus has been preaching this message in the world. And then here's what happens. He says to the disciples at the very end of chapter 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. This is where the turn happens. You see, Jesus came, was born, had a genealogy, had parents. Jesus taught about the sermon, taught about the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. Then he demonstrated the kingdom by casting demons out, by healing people, by doing all that. And then Jesus said, too much for one man. Too much even for the, the second person of the Trinity come to earth. We need people. We need people to spread this news, to do this news, to heal more people. And so chapter 10 is the turn from Jesus doing it to handing it over to his disciples who've been following. And Jesus calls the 12 to himself, or the 72 in, in Luke, and he gives them authority to drive out demons. He goes, okay, now you can do this. You can heal, you can drive out demons, you can bring healing to brokenness. And then he says this, he says, as you go, proclaim this message. Notice this. As you go, uh, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven, again, the kingdom of heaven, has come near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Notice, Jesus has not been arrested. Jesus has not gone to the cross. Jesus has not saved us from our sins at this point. Jesus has not risen from the dead, and the kingdom is alive, and the gospel has saturated the world. God is healing and changing the world. And Jesus calls the 12 to join him in the work. He teaches them, right? He speaks to them, teaches them a sermon on the mount. He demonstrates it. I love this. It's like mentoring, right? I'm going to tell you about it. Then you're going to watch me do it. We're going to do it together. And now I'm actually going to send you out into the world to live the kingdom. They've learned it from Jesus. They've watched him do it. They've heard him proclaim it to the crowds. And now they get to go out. You see what's happening here? This is not people deciding what they want from Jesus and how they're going to use it in their life to their benefit. No, there is a kingdom, and it has specific good news. There is a Jesus, and he has specific teachings, and he gives it to them and says, bring this to the world. He calls his disciples, he teaches them, he models, he equips them, and then he gives them authority, and then he sends them out into the world. This is not, again, a fill-in-the-blank, choose-your-own-adventure kind of Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus of the kingdom. Now, if you read the whole chapter, there's a whole bunch uh, there, and, and I'm, I'm not going to dig into all of it. Uh, let me just touch a couple things, though. In his sending, uh, Jesus begins with the lost sheep of Israel. And he says, only go to the lost sheep of Israel. And so you probably have a lot of questions about that. I'm not going to answer that today, except to say that Jesus starts with the, the people of Israel and then it expands to the Gentiles beyond that. Whole nother sermon, we don't have time for that. He also says some interesting instructions. He says, don't take any money with you. Don't take a purse with you. Don't take a change of clothes or sandals or a walking stick. 
Don't hesitate to let other people serve you and take care of you. But what I want to focus on today is the sending of the disciples into the world with the message of the kingdom. So let's look at what he says in uh, uh, what will happen when they begin to do this. So he's given them instructions, he's given them authority, he's taught them. He says, no, go do this. He says, oh, here, by the way, here's what's going to happen, which is good, right? Because it's nice to know how it's going to go when you go out there, right? Pre it's good preparation as a mentor. And Jesus says this in verse 11. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. If any householder town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust off your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Basically, Jesus is saying to them, trust the message. Trust that the message is good news. Trust that it will bless people. Give it as a gift. Don't use it as a cudgel. Don't argue with people. Don't fight them when they refuse you. Don't change the message so that it, they accept it. Share the good news. If it's received, awesome, celebrate. If it's not, move on. Basically, Jesus says, trust me, trust the message. The message matters. Share it where it's received. Proclaim the message. Don't change it. Pay attention to what I've taught you. Share it and let it let me be in control of the reaction. There's an old song. Um, I told you I was going to give you 80s references. So if you know 80s, you might remember a song by Run DMC. Anybody remember Run DMC? And Aerosmith did a thing together. Walk This Way. Remember this song? It's not a Christian song. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it, it always reminds me, Jesus says, uh, walk this way. The song ends, walk this way, talk this way. So Jesus is saying, I've shown you how I walk. I've shown you the way this works. I've shown you how I talk. I've shown you how to proclaim the message. Do this. The message matters, and it's not negotiable. It's not fully customizable. It does work in different situations. It works in Nepal. It, it changes people's lives in Africa. It changes people's lives in America, and, in, and that America means North America and South America and all the Ameri in the Central America. And we're not the only America, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, and Jesus gets that not everybody's going to appreciate that. Not everybody is going to hear good news and respond to it as good news. And so he says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to the message, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave. Now, I want to be careful here. I want to make a little caveat. Because one of the things I hear a lot from people is that everybody in the culture right now is rejecting Christianity. And you're shaking your head no. Actually, it is kind of true. They're just not rejecting Jesus. Because Christianity has become syncretized with stuff that it shouldn't be. I often hear people making the excuse that, well, you know, everybody's against Christianity right now. Interesting. I, I went to, so I just turned 50 uh, recently, and um, I had a wonderful surprise birthday party where I was sent to Hocking Hills in Ohio uh, for some time alone, and uh, Tanner, who maybe you know Tanner, he may have preached here before, uh, Tanner went drove me there and kind of took care of me the whole time I was there. We had a cabin in, uh, in the woods there. And we went hiking in Hocking Hills. And uh, we were hiking and we ended up in one of these big, huge caverns. And there was a, a couple there trying to take a selfie of themselves, you know. And I, um, 
I said, hey, can we take your picture? So we took a picture of them, and then we just started talking to them. And um, this was over Holy Week weekend, right? So it was like Saturday of Holy Week that we were hanging out with them. And, um, and we just started talking. She's a yoga instructor, and he was a software um, engineer. And we just were chatting, and they asked what we did, and we were like, we're both pastors, um, you know, because that always leads to weird conversations. Uh, so we told them we were pastors, and it was really funny because it, like, it was like we were some um, strange animal they had never met before. It's like, pastor, that's really interesting. We're like, is it? Um, <laughs> clearly, they didn't know pastors, but, uh, but, but we ended up just spending some time talking to them, and they were fascinated with why we would give our lives to the church. And they weren't against the church, they had no bad feelings against the church. They hadn't been hurt by the church. Um, and they were interested in, when we began to tell them about why we did what we did and about our love for Jesus, they were like super intrigued by it. We ended up in a conversa- long conversation where uh, she had lost her sister during COVID and um, so had gone through this whole grief process and we were j- just talking about connecting heart to heart and a bunch of those kind of things. By the time we got done, um, I... Unfortunately, they live in Pennsylvania. By the time we got done, we, Tanner and I both wished like we could hang out with them because they were really, really interested in the gospel, and Tanner's maintained a friendship uh, with them since then. And I say that just to tell you that I, I think a lot of people are interested in the good news of the kingdom. I just read a um, demographics report of a section in Grand Rapids uh, from the most recent census and responses to Christianity and other religions in Grand Rapids. And most people were frustrated with the church because they've been hurt by the church or there have been things in the church that have pushed them away, but they were very, very, very interested in Jesus. You see, in the church, we have sometimes drifted so far away from the person of Jesus Over the last 25 years of my ministry, I've noticed that people, when they hear the good news of the Bible (laughs) and they interact with the Jesus of the Bible, most of the time they respond. There are those who reject it, just as Jesus says. There will be people who reject that blessing. But when people hear the actual good news, they respond. They react in a positive way. Now, there will be ways that that people react negatively. Look, look at what Jesus says. There's a whole list. It's a, not a fun list. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That doesn't sound good, does it? Um, the next one, you will be handed over to the courts and be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. All nations will hate you because you are my followers. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. So Jesus does say that the gospel does challenge. It challenges because Jesus is Lord and Master, and he tells us there's a way to live and there's a way not to live, and that is a challenge. And in in this passage, verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, don't imagine that I come to bring peace to the earth. I don't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, I don't like that personally because I don't like the violent tendencies of it. So I looked into it a little bit. (laughs) And that word sword is the word, I I remember it this way, another 80s reference, Macarena. (laughs) 
It's not a macarena, but it's a macarena is the name of the sword. It's a, it's a single-edged sword usually used by fishermen, and it's often used to um, gut fish. Uh, it's also used to, um, to dress animals. Um, and so it's something that divides carefully. In fact, the same word is used by the Hebrew writer who says that the scripture becomes a two-edged macarena. The scripture divides because you can't syncretize everything together. You can't just take the things you want in your life and attach them to Christianity and call them Christian. When we get to the good news and the scripture, the scripture divides and says, this is of the kingdom, and these things are not. The message of the kingdom matters. The words of Jesus matter. And serving the real Jesus of the real Bible matters. We can't just make it into whatever we want. And Jesus calls his disciples, and that now includes us, right? It begins with these 12, goes to the 70, and then 72 and expands to us. He calls us, and he tells us to preach, teach, live, and bring the healing of the kingdom of God. He says this in verse 27 of chapter 10. What I tell you now in darkness, remember, messianic secret, that's what he's talking about. I'm telling you, okay, I'm just telling you guys right now. You, you're the first ones to get the message. What I tell you in darkness, it's time. Shout it abroad when daybreak comes. When I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. You see, there's no messianic secret anymore. We've been given the good news of the kingdom. We've seen it demonstrated in the good news of Jesus, including his life, death, and resurrection. And the message of that kingdom matters. The message and that message matters the most, needs to be shouted atop from the rooftops and into the darkness as light. So I'll go back to Wally's text, praying that the good news would be spread. How does the good news get spread? You. I don't know how many of us are here, I didn't count. Um, less than 72, more than 12. How did Jesus change the world? He shared the kingdom, he taught the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom with 12 and with 72, and he said, you, you, shout it from the rooftops. Go tell the good news. Be careful, be careful to make sure it's the right message. Be careful, make sure it's the right Jesus. But when you get that, shout it from the rooftops. So here's, I'm gonna end now um, with two challenges for you, okay? Two challenges to wrap this up. The first one is this, is get deeply acquainted with the Jesus of the Bible and his kingdom. I've been in ministry now, I don't know, 25, 30 years officially. Um, and in my lifetime, I have not seen as much damage done to the Christian church by false narratives about Jesus and the kingdom than I have seen in my lifetime, let alone my 25 years of ministry. What's the antidote to that? Listening to the words of Jesus about the kingdom. Studying Jesus. Not listening to your favorite pundit, not listening to your favorite YouTube prophet, not listening to me, not listening to Wally. I mean, those are maybe helpful. But getting into the scripture and listening to the Holy Spirit who speaks to you and then resonates in your heart with other people who are also committed to the Jesus of the Bible and who are committed to his words. 
And so I want to challenge you, do not just come and listen or listen on YouTube or whatever your favorite listening is. Get into the Word yourself and listen to the Holy Spirit and hear the good news of the kingdom because it divides and it is not everything and it is not just what you want it to be. Secondly is this, shout the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God from the rooftops. It is not to be held to ourselves. It's to be shouted from the rooftops. That means your family. It means your kids. It means your neighbors. It means your community, and it means around the world. It's why we're involved in missions all around the world. It's why we continue to encourage sharing the good news at the Memorial Day Parade, <laughs> uh, at VBS, in any place that you can, shout from the rooftops the real Jesus and the message of the kingdom. Would you pray with me? God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, we pray that you would humble us this morning because we more than likely have adopted ideas about the gospel that are not the good news of the kingdom. We confess this morning that we have often turned Jesus into an image of our own making. We are not unlike uh, the Israelites who fashioned a golden calf and began to worship it and call it you. And God, we confess that we've done that. We repent and we turn and we, we turn ourselves back and we turn our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our minds and our imaginations to your scripture, to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us through the scripture in our hearts, to resonate with the community of God who's been faithful to you for thousands of years. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to respond and that after hearing the word, God, that we would shout it from the rooftops. I pray for Walker Harbor Church, that this church would continue to be a light in the darkness, uh, that it would continue to be a church that speaks the gospel and the good news in all the ways that it can and should and will. We pray these things in the name and the power of Jesus. Amen.